This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. I like your face. I love it. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio. The man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, award-winning author. There we go. Okay, I'm trying to get it right. <laughs> Mr. Blue Check verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. You can follow him at jamartisby.substack.com. What's going on, brother? Oh, it's, a, it's always exciting because it's, you know, I love it when it's just the two of us. Yeah, yeah, for but sure. But then... You know, three strands not easily broken. This is this is powerful. Okay, Pastor. Um, <laughs> we have Bria Perry, the witness content distributor in the house. What's up, Bria? Hello, 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 everyone. And I'm we excited. are live in ATL. I'm sorry, did I cut you off? <laughs> <laughs> I was She's gonna be honest. I'm gonna be here. I'm sorry. <laughs> we gonna get it right one day. You I'm messing with, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not trying to make this hard. I know it's your first time at a live show. I'm not trying you to make just, this hard. really making me... Not, no, I'm playing. We're, okay. we're good. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. We we live in ATL. ATL, make some noise. <laughs> and we have just recorded an episode, which y'all heard last week. And today, we are going to do a AMA, as we are known to Ask do. Ask me anything. Ask me anything. I have no idea what the questions are. Jamar has already pre-screened the questions. Um, but he is... <laughs> I'm going to say... We are coming out the gate, and somebody who shall rename, name, remain nameless has chosen violence wow. from the jump. I mean, first from question. Okay. <laughs> but it's a good question. Why are you it's like an this, honest though? question. <laughs> okay, I will transfer my hosting duties to Bria Perry. It's your show. You are in the driver's seat. Take us there. Okay, here we go. So I'm just going to go ahead and start with our first question. Once again, right out the gate, we're coming out with the hard hit and heavy hitters. Uh, that was, a, yep, heavy hitters. <laughs> so, oh, happy Danny, who you guys know. Oh, wow. You guys know we I have a celebrity in the house. In the house. Danny Cole, clap it up. Y'all know her as at oh, happy Danny on, on Instagram. Now. I'm sure you follow her. If Come you on, don't, Target. you probably should. So go ahead and uh, Come do on, that. Come on, Target. <laughs> Come on, Target. She, we got a real celebrity. She's sponsored. <laughs> um, so she asked, uh, a while back on the podcast, you encouraged black Christians to not engage in the CRT debate. Most recently, Dr. Jamar specifically has directly engaged in the conversation and consulted experts in the Christian context. What changed and how would you encourage us to engage this topic in our own circles since it doesn't seem to be going away? I, for one, think that's a very good question. <laughs> wow. I'm looking forward to Dr. Jamar Tisby Esquire answering that question. I, told I heard you, you were an award-winning <laughs> author. <laughs> 
I said, should why did serve you, you really well right now. Why did you go right on ahead now? and say, why are you being hypocritical? What's going on? Now, for clarity, I'm the one who said don't engage in CRT. You were actually always pushing for me to engage in some sort of CRT. Right? Yeah, so it's, uh, first of all, it's a very good question. Legitimate. Thank you for being a long-time listener, knowing and that and having the receipts. Um, so... <laughs> Part of it, in 2017, we changed the name from the Reformed African American Network to The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. That was a very conscious move on our part not to engage so much in what I call racial apologetics, making the case that racism is still a problem to people who don't believe it's as much of a problem. We were spending so much time and energy in that space that we weren't serving black Christians. Hmm. We weren't prioritizing the issues so that, that were on the name to change, our huh? that's, that's clever, Jamar. So, that's clever. So as part of that, we're like, we're, we're not engaging in these back and forth debates that often occupy our time as black Christians in relationship to predominantly white spaces. So, so that's there. And that's still, I think, part of the ethos of the organization. A couple of things changed for me. One, um, I had to embrace the fact that white evangelicals are listening to me. I didn't necessarily choose that or think that was going to come about. But as I interact with people, yeah. it is a lot of white Christians who are trying to navigate this racial landscape. And they're looking for other voices who they can learn from. I'm one of many, but I'm sure. one of. Sure. So as part of sort of stewarding that, I said, some of these things I need to discuss. The other thing that, that, that changed was with critical race theory, we saw, and we've talked about it on Past the Mic, we saw this emerging within fundamentalist far-right Christian circles, uh, whether the conservative Baptist network or the way these uh, Southern Baptist seminary presidents signed this statement, all these sort of subtle signs, well, obvious signs, but then it transcended or, 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 or spilled over from these particular kinds of churches into the national dialogue, into the political conversation. So now states are passing laws banning critical race theory. There are executive orders out in the previous administration talking about it. So it became part of a national conversation in a different way. And so for that reason, also, I had this interesting experience with Grove City College. <laughs> you can go back and listen to that. <laughs> so they called me out my name. So I was I, your villain origin story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the villain. <laughs> so um, here's the one more thing: the philosophical underpinning. Don't clown me. I'm not. Tyler. I'm, not. I'm, I'm listening. I'm gleaning from your wisdom. We are increasingly living in different epistemological ecosystems. Such no, that hold on, bro. <laughs> see, 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 I knew he was gonna do it. I'm trying to make a point. She I'm said, trying to make a words. point. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a philosopher at heart, so I love epistemology. So this is cool. see exactly cool. the science of knowing. How do we know what is true? What do we count as factual? That is increasingly divergent. Mm-hmm. And so in the context of increasing misinformation and disinformation, we have to try fight untruth with truth. And so this is where the hmm. series, Those Meddling Kids, Unmasking the Anti-CRT Crusade in Christian Colleges and Universities, Christian Higher Ed, comes. And so that's my Say explanation. Again. Say it again for people. Those Meddling Kids, Unmasking the Anti-CRT Crusade in Christian Higher Ed, video teaching series also available on the Footnotes podcast. Where's the video teaching series at? Oh, my YouTube page. Just search 
YouTube, just Jamar Tisby, but ignore all the discernment blogger videos and just go to my page. Go to the source. Come to death row. Go to the Ain't source. Jamar Tisby a false preacher? Does he preach prosperity a gospel? few of those on there. Great question. Jamar Seriously, Tisby that was a says, great question. Jesus is meddling. <laughs> Okay, that was next a good question. answer. That was a good yeah. answer. Yeah, next question. Yeah. Very good. Very, very good. That was good. wonderful. Sorry, y'all. Uh, we do have another question from the lovely Danny Coke. Actually, this is from Cody. Uh, how- Cody. 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 <laughs> Acquisition. <laughs> Acquisition. Oh, this is a great question. How are y'all prioritizing self-care in the midst of pushback you might get for the content you create? Oof. That's, hmm. that's big. Yeah, that's a good question. I think, number one, I've reduced my access to bad faith criticism. So the mute and block buttons come from the angels who worship around the throne and say, holy, holy, holy. Um, I also mute names, <laughs> mute conversations, mainly because I don't get the level of vitriol in this particular space that Jamar gets, but I've seen that it triggers me whenever I see people post. This is why I'm kind of like, don't post them screenshots of the folks on your Twitter. Anyway, that's a separate thing. <laughs> That'll be next live. We're going to talk about that. Don't post. I don't want to see them. I don't want to see them. I don't want to see what they're doing. I don't want to know. Like, it's bad. I understand. But I've also tried to, if I'm going to engage with critics or uh, people of that nature, do so on my own terms um, and do so with a purpose. And so that keeps me from wasting time um, engaging in conversations with people who are determined to misunderstand me. Um, and so I think you have to remove yourself from those circles and those conversations. And you have to engage in the conversations that um, are from those who are in good faith, but also from we do a bad job. Hmm. We, have, we have a lot of theology on haters. And because we have a lot of theology on haters, we tend to focus on the people who detract from us instead of the people who pour into us. And so I'm trying to create a life that gives more to black Christians than white evangelicals. So that's what I'm trying to do, and that's saved a lot of my, my sanity. I'd love, yeah, love to hear from you, because you, you get it. You get the vitriol all the yeah, time. Yeah, so I mean, uh, the, the vitriol increases as I try to engage with white Christians. I mean, that's the, the bare fact. One to one. Um, the, the most hostile spaces I'm in are historically and majority white Christian spaces in particular. Um, have you thought about leaving those spaces and not going there? So, and this is, just, I'm curious cause we haven't is, really talked about this. This is good because this is related to the first question. So I have left those spaces in the sense that, I'm not institutionally affiliated. Right. So they don't have that kind of power in my life. What I'm now willing to do is if you invite me, I will go, I will share the truth as I understand it, and I'm out. It's a different relationship. It's, um, 
there's inside agitators and there's outside agitators. And there's internal change agents and external change agents. For me in my season, I could no longer be an internal change agent in many of these historically white Christian organizations, but I am still committed to being an external change agent. Well, that's the thing. Like you're still visiting them. Have you thought about have, have any of the recent situations, public controversies made you say, I might need to take a break on actually going to those spaces, even visiting? Um, no, if they're willing to invite me most of the time, unless it's, I know it's going to be hostile. It's kind of a gotcha situation. Uh, but rarely are, are people that committed to antagonizing me that they'll actually pay me to go and do that. So most of the places I go, there's somebody willing, uh, there's some folks willing to listen. That's courageous, bro. That's courageous. You better than me because yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, now we know. No, no, no. That is courageous. No, serious. No, seriously. I'm I'm being serious. That's courageous. And I admire you for that. We just follow where God calls us. We're all courageous. We can all be courageous in the spaces where God has called us. Mm. Stiff-necked people. <laughs> That's what the prophet said. That's what the prophet. I'm saying what the prophet okay, said. Now, hold on now. Hold on now. You're speaking a word now. Hey. I mean, I'm I'm just it's the logo. It's just, <laughs> it's just that the logo. We got two Pentecostals up here. Nah. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But we don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> we let the spirit lead, you know. If I get that stank face, you already know what time it is. Anyway, okay. continue. If he grabs that <laughs> yes. mic, stands up, um, watch it. Um let's see, let's see. Oh, Tyler, this is for you specifically. Get your uh, nerd hat on. Oh. Tyler, how do you feel about these posts? Oh, this is from Shane Kidd, by the way. Oh, Shane. Uh, how do you feel about these posts in game Marvel films? And the second part is any chance we can get a crossover reunion episode with Philip Holmes and Taylor Gray from the Make It Plain podcast? Wow. Okay, so that second <laughs> these one, are I don't very know. different questions. Okay. <laughs> I don't know on that second <laughs> so one. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about that one. Um, Which one? The the second the second question the crossover episode we are working on a specific crossover episode I think you'll like, um, yeah that one's gonna be fun and that'll be high energy that'll catch some people off guard when we do that one, um that one I don't know yeah I'd, I'd be very curious I don't I haven't heard their podcast so I would love to know how they kind of approach things um obviously brilliant brothers sharp thinkers so I'd love to hear kind of how they approach things but we may be in two different lanes and spaces so. There may be that. Um, as far as Marvel, I think uh, they're still trying to figure out. They're 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 testing their limits now. How much you know? How deep into comic lore can we get? Um, you know, how deep in this bag can we go? And I, some of it's landing, some of it's not. You know, I think it's hit or miss right now. What'd you say? A lot of it is not. Yeah, but I I I, I, I see this as a transitional period. I see this almost as Marvel's liminal space between when they get to liminal okay, bonus chill out, chill out. bonus. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to I'm trying to raise my game. All right, you, you, now you know how I feel. You know what I'm saying? Histological <laughs> ecosystem. I'm like, uh. um, but I feel like they're this their liminal space between Blade, X Men, Fantastic Four. It's that liminal Kang. Yeah, I, I feel like when we really get into the flow of Kang and Doom, I feel like Marvel's going to pick back up again and they're going to have anchors. Marvel lost their anchors. You know, it's one thing to lose uh, supporting cast uh, people, but it's another thing to lose pillars. 
And when they lost Iron Man and Captain America, mm-hmm. they lost pillars. Mm-hmm. And so now they've got to replace pillars, and that takes time. So that that's a transition. And I enjoy it because of comic book lore. We can talk about the capitalism of it. We can talk about the commodification of it. We can talk about all of that and what it's doing to cinema. But as a comic book fan, I enjoy it. And personally, I think it's... Um, I'm liking this because we're we're figuring it out. And then you have some shows that I really enjoy, um, like Loki I really enjoyed, WandaVision I really enjoyed, uh, She-Hulk looks we really good. We just watched the first episode. Wow. Looks really, really good. Wow. We watched it as a team. That was cool. And then some things that I feel like I won't resonate with, and that's okay. Um, it's kind of, Marvel is now becoming Star Wars in that regard, um, where there's a lot of things I'd be like, oh, it's not for me, but you know. I'll get him last Jedi. Great. You know, the last man was like, Oh, it's not for me, you know, but I'll stick with it because Mandalorian's coming, you know? So you just have to figure out as a fan, what you're going to invest your time into. Cause there's so many shows. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a time commitment. So we're, we're in that liminal space for Mar- for Marvel. For sure. Okay. This one is from Zay Williams. Zay. So in line, uh, we're getting back with the heavy hitters. In line with the previous discussion, can you all respond to the Creflo Dollar tithing revelation? Should churches still be expecting tithing? What other kinds of requirements are appropriate for church membership? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, There's a lot of chatter and noise around the Creflo Dollar conversation and things of that nature. And most of the people who talk who are talking about it don't realize it's really an argument from perspective and semantics on a lot of ways. Like, how do you interpret the Old Testament? Which a lot of people haven't read the Old Testament, so I've just you know maybe you don't want to try to interpret something you haven't read. But I think what's important is um, how his perspective is that the things that the way in which he taught tithing before was from a law based, fear based perspective. That, I would say, amen, we need to take heed to where we have heaped shame upon people unnecessarily for things like tithing and money um, and how we have uh, used the offertory moment as emotional manipulation Mm. Mm. and how we have done that and attached scripture and a shout and really use psychology more than spirituality to encourage generosity. Um, that's a big thing, right? It's very important. But when I when I dug into the series, it seems like he's kind of all over the place. He's, it's it's kind of almost like there was this movement in the, this is where Rand comes in handy. There's this movement in the reform circles whenever people started getting into grace giving. And then everybody's like, oh man, grace giving. That means you just give out of the, it seems like he read he heard one thing on grace giving and was like, yo, this is, <laughs> this is it. Whoa. You know, the 10% is not actually required. Like you can give above 10%. Whoa. You know? And he just went and like taught a sermon series on it. And I think one of the challenges as being a pastor and a preacher I'm learning is you have to let something marinate on the inside of you before you teach about it and teach from it. And sometimes we hear a new thing and we just go for it. And even if he is correct in theology, I think in his delivery, I think there's a lot of confusion. And what I sensed was he was teaching out of guilt. Mm. Mm. And so tithing is a conversation we can have, but I, I mainly want to get to the fact of for the pastors who have kind of fallen in line with this prosperity trap, like you've got to, there's a lot of inner healing that needs to happen yeah. 
so that we can, and maybe a, a hiatus and sabbatical <laughs> so that we can teach properly um, and rightly divide the word of truth. Where you come from and, and your denomination will likely have a statement on tithing or things of that nature. Um, we have always encouraged grace giving. That's just always how we have been. Um, we've encouraged people to give cheerfully, consistently, and confidently, uh, cheerfully because that's just the attitude of generosity, um, consistently because it's formation. We break the back of greed. Um, it's very easy to be stingy and then confidently knowing that we're not giving to people, but to God. So those are the things that we've talked about. So we haven't said, ah, oh, man, give you a 10%. If you don't give you a 10, we don't give you, a, you don't send you an invoice, We'll send you none of that. We're not sending a letter to your house, like none of that. So that's hey, just not you how we've been. Sunday. What's going on? Right? Yeah, on. that's not how we've been. But you know, I know a lot of people come from different spaces. So I didn't know if you had anything. Oh, no, that was beautiful. Cheerfully, consistently, confidently. I like that. Hey, man, we gotta alliterate. If you're a real preacher, you alliterate. <laughs> Clearly, you got the Holy Ghost. You <laughs> yes. gonna alliterate? Do you have the Holy Ghost tomorrow? <laughs> that is the question. Okay, Dude, I have the okay. <laughs> This wasn't in the comments. Uh-uh. This is off no, the, this is extraneous. This is off script. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have the evidence? Uh-huh. Since you believe, Jamar. Since you. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Uh- oh, that's so heretical. Hello, beautiful people. Natasha Sistrunk Robinson here, host of A Sojourner's Truth, Conversations for a Changing Culture podcast. Did you miss me? We're back for season three, where our conversations will center around the hashtag grief. And join us for these important conversations and subscribe today. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike. But let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now, that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening. But you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. Okay, uh, this is from Jabari Jefferson for you specifically, Jamar. How long before your new book comes out? Ooh, yeah. Um, book coming out. Pray and touch and agree. Hey. Spring twenty twenty four. Yes. So it'll be my fourth book. Uh, This is Color of Compromise, How to Fight Racism, How to Fight Racism, Young Readers Edition. This book is a book that talks about how do we persist in the struggle when victory seems distant Mm. from a historical perspective. This book going to be so good, y'all. This book going to be so good. (laughs) <laughs> he, said spring, he said spring 2028 it's like, <laughs> oh. it's like so I'm going to give you the tools but you got to hold on for the tools it's like um, because what I'm sensing is for me 2012 Trayvon Martin for many August 2014 Mike Brown for others uh, November 2016 the election of Trump and beyond has been a battle mm-hmm. 
And even when we got to the summer of 2020 and these historic racial justice uprisings and praise God, the state flag of Mississippi changed and other changes, it seemed that as soon as that happened, there was this backlash or some would call it a white lash where we see the January 6th insurrection. We see the rise of white Christian nationalism on a public stage where we see the anti-CRT crusade gaining steam. And it seems as if it's one step forward, two steps back. And so what I'm sensing for myself and those around me is, how do we keep going? How do we keep going now that we realize that the changes we desire won't happen quickly? Hmm. And I want to learn from this great cloud of historical witnesses we have, namely black Christians in the U.S. struggle for uh, black freedom. So it's another historical survey going all the way back to the colonial era, talking about Christians who courageously confronted racism instead of compromising with it. Hmm. So in that sense, it's a flip side of the color of compromise. It's a special book. And I think ultimately it's a book about that that old Bible hope, that hope that is faithful when you're in the valley of the hmm. shadow of death. Hmm. That hope that says, my feet is tired. That's it, dog. But my soul there, is Keep rested. going, keep going. And I want to give us real world no, examples. No, keep going, keep going. Yeah. So, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have... Uh, it's so close. You know. <laughs> I don't know what it was. We're trying to vibe. Um, So anyway, yes, uh, pray for me. It's difficult historical research because, honestly, the examples of courageous confrontation are much less numerous than the examples of compromise. Uh, Not only that, history is vast. Mm -hmm. And so historians focus on a tiny, tiny, tiny period and topic within history. I'm 20th century race, religion, and social movements, specifically from the 1950s to the 1970s. And seems like the most relevant thing we could be talking about right now. But I got to go back to like 1492 (laughs) and try (laughs) to find some things. So it's very, um, you know, I might spend, you know, six hours and a hundred pages to get one paragraph. Uh, So it's very difficult, Hmm. painstaking research, but God willing, spring 24. When's our book come out, Jamar? Bruh. <laughs> why you why you saying like that? I'm waiting on you. What do you mean? I want whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, we can't start this topic. Next question. <laughs> I'm just showing y'all where to apply pressure. Cause we got our idea. Well, since we're here, let's talk about some emotional healing. (laughs) Dominique Dawson with another heavy hitter. As y'all have pursued emotional healing, ooh, as y'all have pursued emotional healing as black men, how has that impacted your marriages? It's a great question. Yeah. That's an extremely important question. I think the first thing is acknowledging that um, it needed to impact my marriage. Um. I think there were, if you take all the examples of marriage and specifically black men in marriage that I saw, there were, there were men who were present but not available. And there were men who were doing the best that they could but weren't utilizing all the resources that they had. And I had to learn, we had to learn together 
because we're on this journey together, praise God, um, as men, um, there's a lot that we have to confront. And so through therapy, through spiritual direction, uh, through the spiritual practices and disciplines, um, I've begun that journey. Uh, we were just talking about this a couple of days ago. No, it was yesterday. We were just talking about this yesterday. I realized that, oh, I haven't fully confronted all this stuff. So, you know, you start and you're like, oh, I'm making such progress. And then you hit that wall. You're like, whoa, I did not know that was a thing. And so now I have to confront something totally different. And, you know, the first thing I would say in that regard is my wife has been incredibly gracious Mm. to walk with me through that. Um, And she has been so supportive of that journey um, as someone who wrestles with mental illness. Um, She has been so supportive um, and so encouraging for me. Um, But also she has established a healthy encouragement for me not to use that as an excuse. Um, Not to be the best possible husband I can be. And for that, I'm very thankful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think my kids will one day be very thankful to her for that. Mm. Um, So that's been huge for us. Um, Therapy individually and then together has been just massive for our communication, um, how we talk to each other, how we make decisions. And then even we think about marriage, like marriage being so, especially for pastors, like hierarchical and patriarchal, Mm. um, then moving toward more of a marriage of mutuality, which is something we're still figuring out. Like, how do you do that? Because black church doesn't really do that. The black church is like, the man in the head of the house, he's the priest of the home, he's a king. I'm like, whoa. Um, you know, I'm like, snap, it seems like I'm a ruler, you know, not a servant. And so I'm just like, well, what do I, what do, I do with that, you know? So I think, you know, we're trying to work on what mutuality, you know, what does that look yeah. like in decision making and all that. Um, and that's something that's still a work in progress, but a work that I think we're doing joyfully. Yeah. It's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, it's tough. It's really tough because here's the thing about therapy. It's not just going to an appointment. You leave raw. And there's work to do continually after that hour-long session. Yes. Um, And it often gets uglier before it gets more beautiful because you're having to excavate and pull things out that you avoided or that you left festering and it's almost like it's almost like cleaning out a room first you have to pull all the stuff out then you got to decide what to keep what to throw away and then how to put it back what order and relationships can be like that sometimes so you know sometimes it feels really messy and tense but it's actually the work that needs to be done and that's hard to remember I'll also say that for my wife and I, we both had good examples of faithfulness. So my parents um, were married for 50 years before my mom passed. My wife's parents have been married 40 plus years. And Mine just crossed 40. Yeah. So, so we have these really good examples of faithfulness. What I would like to do in our marriage is add to faithfulness flourishing. Hmm. That's good, dog. Not just can we remain committed to one another, because that even can be begrudging, (laughs) but can we flourish? That mutuality you were talking about. So good, bro. 
That's Afrotheofuturism. Okay, when you when you leave here, you're gonna you're gonna hear six episodes where he says Afrotheofuturism, and you will not be going crazy. Like you will not be going getting excited. You'll be rolling your eyes. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. By the end, um, we're gonna put. He that has into just consistently said Afrotheofuturism. He's over, trying to make it a thing. He's ordered from DoorDash, and he's like Afrotheofuturism. <laughs> I'm like that's 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 food. That's not futurism. <laughs> that's sustenance. No, that's powerful though, man. Faithfulness add add to faithfulness. Man, you've been sitting on that, man. We need to we need, I to, need to let that marinate. Should we have a moment of silence? <laughs> 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 um, okay. Next question is from Jabari Jefferson again. Jabari. Yes. Uh, is ableism a close partner to racism? Mm. And if so, how? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So I would love to hear, particularly from a pastor's perspective, but the first thing that comes to mind with that is the Imago Day, and how racism has perverted what it means to be made in the image of God because it has set up a hierarchy of who's closer to the image of God based on this social construction we call race. So what that does is set up an ideal kind of image bearer. With racism, it's a white person. But along with that are all kinds of other add-ons, like fully abled in particular ways, or uh, of a certain wealth and Mm -hmm. class, Mm -hmm. or of a certain nationality or language, right? So I think as soon as you set up a hierarchy in the of people being made in the image and likeness of God, you can add all of these other extraneous qualifications to what it means to be fully in God's mm. image, mm-hmm. as opposed to all yes. these other folks who are lesser. So in the, in, in the same sense that it, 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 it tries to set up artificial categories and boundaries on what it means to bear God's image, racism and ableism are related. Yeah, you know, that's really good. I think also, you know, I do think they're linked and related, but before we even get to that, I think it would be important to say, like, the Black Pentecostal space has a really interesting relationship. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, We see people's situation as opportunities for testimonies. Um, and not for opportunities for us to see them as fully valuable as they are. Mm. Um, and so we try to pull them to where we are in order to value. Don't you want to get healed? Believe it. And they don't have to be healed to be valuable. And they don't have to be able-bodied um, to be seen by God. And that every story doesn't end like that. And that has been a great tension mm. in the black Pentecostal space. I think mainly because there's so much performative spirituality. Mm. I think for a lot of us, we're so insecure about being seen as powerful men and women of God that we trample over uh, people and see them as an ailment. And we try to see them as an opportunity for us to prove how close to God we are. And so we're praying not for them. We're praying for us. Mm. (laughs) 
And by praying for them, we're trying to enhance ourselves. There's um, a and, book out now. I haven't read it, but the title is Arresting. My body is not a prayer request. Oh, see? Yeah. Oh, it's so good, y'all. Yeah, I forgot the author's name. <laughs> what? You've been sitting on this book. I didn't know about I'm this. Gonna, I'm gonna look it we up. We're gonna look it up. We're gonna get it. Google Rhea, it. You've probably experienced this as well. Yes. You know, being in a Pentecostal space, right? Yes. Um, and I think that a lot of what I am noticing is that ableism can be so subtle because it, it just it's just a part of our language. Mm-hmm. And so you'll hear like in a. On a New Year, uh, a New Year's Eve service, you'll you'll hear the pastor or the leader say, "We could be in the loony bin right now. We could have our let's praise God that we got all our, all of our limbs, the activity of our limbs." And it's mm-hmm. like, well, what if I don't have the activity of my hmm. limbs? Can I still praise God? Does God still see Himself as faithful through me and my body? What if I am in in, in a psychological, a mental Woo. institution right now? Is God meeting me there? Does I do I have to be in your pew in your church to be met and to be heard and to be seen by God? That's good. And so it's just so subtle. It's like I don't think it's an intentional, no, uh, yeah, you know, evil that's there. It's just so subtle, and and it just in the in the daily things that we don't think about. Is, is how it shows up and it operates and, and it can wound people in ways that you're not um, seeing. And, and we just have to be really intentional about um, making sure, not even just that we are thinking about um, being inclusive in our language, but I think that inclusivity comes as a result of thinking about what Jamar said about everyone being made in the image of God, um, even if they do not fit the societal standard of what it means to be able-bodied and to be perfect, you know, looking, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, I think that that's something that, that, that's a purging that needs to happen. Um, I'll say in the Pentecostal church, the black Pentecostal space specifically, I think all over, but specifically that is something that, um, yeah, we need to purge. I I think about Jesus' question, do you want to be healed? And we've taken that as, see, now if they didn't have enough faith to get healed, he wasn't going to. And maybe it was a different question. Mm. Do you want to be healed? Maybe it was consent. Yeah. That's it. Yes. Amy Kenny. Amy Kenny. Yes. My body is not a prayer request by Amy Kenny. Y'all should get on that. It is oh, yeah. so no, good. You got to check that out. I've only read the first, the introduction in the first chapter and immediately I was like, ooh. Yeah, so we had to we had to God. kind of reframe even within our church, like when somebody comes in and they have an ailment that's visible to us, because it's not always visible to us. But when they have an ailment that's visible to us, mm. we don't immediately take them to the prayer line because mm. they have an ailment that is visible to us. Like mm. well, that's a no no. We don't do that. Um now if they come up and they request prayer, that's a different sure. conversation. Um yeah. but you know, we have to be very careful about assuming and that makes people feel othered and, you know. We need to get you quickly healed. It's yeah. like, God can speak to them now. Absolutely. That was great. Um, oh. We just going. We got like one more? One more? Okay. Yeah. One more? Okay. Make it a good one, Bria. Okay. Oh, pressure. <laughs> um, okay. Let's do from Charmon Pittman. Am I saying that name Charmaine. right? Charmon. Okay. That boy. That boy. Why do you think black pastors shy away from advocating and speaking to the needs of the black community as they did in the past? Do you believe that they are afraid of cancel culture in quotations? Thank you for the quotations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
Pastor? <laughs> Why do you shy away? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is an intervention. <laughs> Get on the New York Times bestseller list. Just, you don't even know a boy no more. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I think different, I, I think it is true that different pastors have different theological beliefs about what the church is and what the church should do functionally, right? Um, and so most people, um, I've seen a lot of pastors that think about, man, I'm, I'm trying to care for my flock. I'm trying to care for the people, you know, that God has assigned to me. I'm trying to shepherd um, those who are in my care. Um, but I also think that there is, um, there's a level of, and I don't mean this in the way that, but there's a level of uh, ignorance to how to start some of these conversations because many of them have been in situations where the main needs were more survival-based needs rather than justice needs. They were mainly, they mainly saw them as like charity needs. And so their way of addressing the needs of the community was, you know, paying someone's light bill. That was mm-hmm. addressing the needs of the mm-hmm. community. And what I think millennials and for you in particular, Shaman, as Gen Z, like you would think of it as addressing the corporate needs of the neighborhood, right? And the community. Like you would see it as addressing like what's happening in your five mile radius where you're planted. Like you would see it as much more systemic. And so Gen Z sees it as a lot more systemic. And I think older pastors um, see it as a lot more individual in some cases. Um, but I think there are a lot of pastors who are doing that and who are doing it very well and who are serving their community in very diverse ways, not just in terms of survival needs, but also access to um, equitable systems and um, tutoring and training and job opportunities and employment and empowerment. So I think there's a lot of pastors that are doing it, but I think some of it is fear because, hmm, how do, how do I want to say this charitably? This is what I ask myself all the time. Some of it is fear because I think for a lot of us, when we address something, the thing we're most afraid of is losing power. And I think there's got to be a level of pastoral courage that we have to have. It's just built in. It's the occupational hazard of being a pastor. You need courage. And you need courage to address the things that might get you in trouble. I said this in a recent episode, like we're, we know we're dangerous. We know we're in a dangerous spot when we look at the Old Testament and our lives. We want our lives to be more like the kings and not the prophets. The prophets were killed. The kings were revered. And we want to be kings instead of prophets. That's when we're in trouble. You didn't even get the stank face on that, but that was like, wow. <laughs> oh, that's what you were doing? I was making that's sure you were I okay. I didn't know that's, what that was. I was making that sure you were okay. My stank face. You're going to see good. that on a quote on the Witness BCC in about a few weeks. So <laughs> make sure to share. <laughs> Doc? I think, so I've encountered pastors who are seeking to appeal to the broadest possible audience. Oh, yeah. And the only way they've found, or the most effective way they've found to do that, is to not be too strident in any of their statements, even when it comes to justice. Because I might alienate this group or upset that group. Because unity and growth, let's be honest, is 
a priority, even if they wouldn't say it. This is what I sense. Um, but it's unity around what? Is it around truth and is it around justice? Because, as I said, justice takes sides. And especially now, I think it's an even more pressing and urgent question because we are dealing with issues of such moral clarity. Was the election stolen or legitimate? Do masks help to prevent a viral pandemic or not? Uh, there are all kinds of issues that are, there's really not much gray area. Once you make a stance, you've picked a side. And so there are a lot of pastors and just leaders in general who just won't weigh in on something because they don't want to lose a potential member or a, a platform there. Um, and like you said, courage is sort of just part of the job. There's um, no way around it. I also think, particularly with black men in leadership, there is a philosophy that we have to maintain good friendships with white people in order to foster or in order to uh, make progress. That the main way to do that is, well, we may disagree on, on this, that, or the other, but if we can break bread together, if we can have a conversation, then I will we'll move the needle and I can influence through relationship. Which goes. <laughs> Someone said, no more foot washings. No more foot washings. <laughs> right. <laughs> Say that. Say that again. Say it. He said, wash your old feet. Y'all get. <laughs> and don't really get me wrong. Kindness is a fruit of the spirit. It is. It is. Yes. Amen. Kindness is something we should cultivate. Honoring the image of God and others is something we should strive to do. But it gets to the difference between relief and justice. Mm. What you were saying before. Um, Churches and leaders are often looking at individual acts of mercy. Yeah. And that is very a important. substitute. Yes, it's very important, but a substitute for systemic change, which would be justice, yeah. preventing the problem in the first place. So anyway, I just I think I think some pastors are in the mode of I can make more progress if I'm friends with these white yeah. leaders in particular than if I were to make a very bold statement sure. about right and wrong, justice and injustice. Absolutely. And I honor the pastors who are doing it really well. Yeah. You and know, it's probably Reggie both Shard, and, you know, yeah. all the... No, no, no. But I mean, the, I just love yeah. honoring the people who are doing it well. Reverend Danielle Brown, Pastor Reggie Sharp, Pastor Freddie Haynes, Pastor Howard John Wesley, Pastor Micah Edmondson. People are doing it really well. I just honor them. I honor them. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more 
who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.